1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, we are kicking off Awesome August tonight. And uh, I'm excited about it. You know, I've been, uh, I've been to a few ministries now. I've heard some ideas, some ministry ideas that were good ideas. I've heard some ministry ideas that, uh, that weren't so good. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I've kind of took a step back and kind of evaluated uh, this whole thing. And uh, this is my first Awesome August. Some of you, maybe you've done this before. But I remember uh, I came and I visited the church and uh, just loved everything about it. pastor gave us a calendar uh, telling us all of the events that are going to be taking place throughout the year. And I remember coming to Awesome August, and I thought, what is Awesome August? What does that entail? And, uh, you know, I really, I still don't know how awesome it is. And uh, Pastor mentioned this morning, he said, you know, he said, uh, the reason it's awesome is because of the speakers. Well, I'm sorry he lied to you. Um, but, uh, but then he also said the food, all right? And let's not kid ourselves, all right? All right, when I think awesome food, I think maybe a prime rib, right? What are we getting tonight? Watermelon? Now, I'm, I'm thankful, all right? I am thankful for any food that we get, but let's not kid ourselves tonight, all right? Awesome August is not awesome because of the preaching. It's not awesome because of the food. Honestly, it's awesome because of the God that we serve. At the heart of all of it, we serve an awesome God. And He does awesome things every day. You and I, we, we just take for granted. And uh, I, I was thinking about the message for this, and I was thinking about, Lord, what do you want me to preach in the first night of awesome August? What do you want me to say? And I started to go through, and I, I thought the Lord was directing me down one path, a resume of a steward, but uh, the, the Lord was like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want that. And, uh, and I started to think, and I started to just kind of flip through my Bible, and, and I just started thinking, man, there are so many stories of the Bible that are awesome. No other way to describe them except that they are awesome. You know, I, I, I work with teens now a good bit, and I'll talk to a teenager every so often, and they'll say, I don't want to read my Bible because it's boring. And I say, the reason you think it's boring is because you haven't read it. There are some awesome stories in there. You think of uh, a, a man, Jonah, being swallowed up by a whale. You think of all the plagues that came to the land of Egypt during Moses' time, parting of the Red Sea. Man, you, you really get into it. Uh, you find all these wonderful stories. You find everything that Paul went through, getting bit by, by the snake, um, having, uh, being shipwrecked, and, and then Peter, you know, he's in jail, and, and all these things happen. They, they just keep miraculously getting out of jail. It's just amazing. And, uh, and I think about those stories, and I say, wow, we serve an awesome God. And can I tell you the God of the Bible, the God that delivered Peter and Paul, all the disciples and, and the, the God that delivered the Israelites out of the nation uh, of Egypt out into the promised land is the same God we serve today. And Malachi 3.6 is still in the Bible. It says, For I am the Lord, I change not. What a promise that is. And one of my favorite stories of the Bible, perhaps the most awesome story in the Bible, is the one that we're going to look at tonight, 1 Kings chapter 18. And some of you that have read your Bible, you, you know where we're going with this, and you know kind of the story that, uh, it, that it entails in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't, we'll skim through. Now this is a very uh, large passage. We think of uh, all that Elijah was able to do on Mount Carmel and how the Lord brought fire down from heaven. A great victory was wrought. An amazing miracle takes place. I just kind of wish I was a fly on the wall. Just being able to see what, what really happened. The people that were all there. And we'll go through this. I'm not going to go every verse. I'm really just going to kind of skim through this passage. There's so much truth that we can get into it. But I want to draw just a few components tonight. First Kings chapter 18. We'll start in verse number 1. If you'll stand, First Kings chapter 18, verse number 1. We'll read the first eight. Eight verses. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of the house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. 
For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets, hid them by fifty in in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the water, all the fountains of water, unto all brooks. For adventure we may find grass to save the horses, mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it, and Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by uh, himself. And Obadiah was in the way, and behold, Elijah, uh, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him. He fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord, Elijah? And he, he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We come to a passage of Scripture in which, Lord, you, you wrought a great miracle. It's one that I believe our minds can't even fathom. And Lord, you are an awesome God. You are a powerful God. And Lord, when we are in your presence, it is an awesome thing. Lord, the power that you gave Elijah, the power that you were able to do on Mount Carmel by calling down fire from heaven, Lord, I pray for your power to preach tonight. I pray that you'll fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you'll help the listener to be able to hear and then be able to do that which has been told from your word. Lord, I pray that you give me the right words to say. Give me boldness, Lord, and allow me to say what you'd have me to say and withhold me from saying that which you'd have me not to say. Lord, be with this message. We ask your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The nation of Israel at this point in time is in a spiritually dark place. We find that Ahab is the king over the nation of Israel, the, the southern portion of the nation of Israel. And, and uh, this is a, a time in which uh, Ahab and Jezebel are going out and they're killing prophets of the Lord and they're wreaking havoc throughout the land. When you find the when you find the Bible speaking much about Ahab, you find nothing really good about him. You find that Jezebel was perhaps even more wicked than than Ahab was. But when you look about the history of of all the kings of the nation of Israel, a lot of times you'll find they were a bad king. They were compared to Ahab himself, much as wicked as, as Ahab their father. You find that phrase uh, a few times, and then you find you find uh, Elijah. Elijah's here, he's a prophet of the Lord during the reign of Ahab, and he's used greatly, he's not a perfect man, and may I say the best of men are, are men at best, and this man, Elijah, is you, being greatly used by the Lord, and, and uh, he is going about, and God has commanded him now to go into this land. This land has had a famine for about three and a half years. We find, if you turn your Bibles to James chapter number 5, James chapter 5, verse number 17, sheds a little bit more light on on the situation of the nation of Israel. James chapter 5, verse number 17 says this, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it may not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three and six months. So we find here that Elijah, he sees the nation of Israel as it is. He sees the spiritually dark state that they are in. And he's praying for restoration. He's praying for God to work, to turn the heart of the king so that the nation of Israel can go back to serving the Lord and serving them as they were intended to do in the very first place. And as a result, because of what Elijah was able to do and ultimately because of his faith in the Lord, and great things happen. I've titled the message tonight, When God Does... Something awesome. And tonight, I want to share three ingredients on how we can see God do something awesome. Now, I don't know, I don't believe we'll ever see God call fire down from heaven on an altar of the Lord or anything like that. But we can still see God do great things, awesome things in our own lives. We could see Him do miracles far beyond our comprehension The Bible says that uh, He can do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. And so we serve that God, and I want to see awesome things, don't you? 
And so let's look at the three ingredients to seeing God do something awesome. Number one, let's look at the opposing troubles. The opposing troubles. Find here that Elijah is praying. James chapter 5, you're still there. Verse number 17, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. You know, for several years, I went out to college in Southern California in the Mojave Desert. And I remember the first time I landed on the plane and I got off and I had all this baggage and I got off at the LAX airport, Los Angeles airport, and I got in the van to go take my first trek up to uh, the, the, uh, the desert there. I remember driving, and uh, we live in a humid state, right? It is, uh, it's humid here. We got the, the ocean. We got everything right outside here. You wake up, and sometimes uh, when it's really hot, really humid, it feels like you just take a butter knife and just cut through the air, right? How many of you are with me? And uh, I'm not a water drinker. If you know me well, I'm kind of a water snob. Uh, if I drink water, it's really only from a bottle. And, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not really too, too big into drinking, drinking water, and I just kind of live off the air, right? has to be humid. I'm like a sponge, you know, just take it all in. I can walk across uh, a while and, and not have to have any water. But I remember when I landed, I got in that van, I started to drive, and, and there was no trees. You know, they're starting to fade away, just Joshua trees. We're going through on uh, the 14 and going through the, the valley there and getting all the way up to the desert. I began to feel my mouth really get dry. By that time, it was only maybe 15, 20 minutes into the ride. And I began to feel my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a weird feeling, you know. I'll just, I'll just wait till we get to the college and I'll get out. Just kind of be able to suck in the air again, you know. And uh, sure enough, I got out. It is completely dry. Just so dry, so hot. I get out and I'm like, whew. Man, it is a dry heat. feels like you're in an oven as soon as you get out of the van. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe I will need to get some water. I'm, I'm scavenging, trying to find some water, some kind of water bottle or something like that. And the whole first day, I couldn't really find a water bottle. I found a couple water fountains, and I was drinking. But you know what? I found that I needed more water than uh, when I was in the Northeast. And praise God, uh, came back to the Northeast now. Been in two places that there was not a lot of rain. Uh, man, every time it rains, I hope it rains during the service, honestly. Uh, I saw the weather report. But, uh, but man, I'm thankful for rain. I really am. Without it, you have dry climates. You have areas in which there's little humidity. And, uh, and, and I remember thinking, wow, what is, what is California like? How long have they been without water? How long have they been without rain? And they began, as, as I was at college, they, they took some extra steps to preserve the water. They weren't allowed to have an irrigation system on the campus anymore. And they began to take away some of the grass. My wife can tell you, it's a depressing day when you're standing outside your dorm and all the grass is being rolled up. And it's just that, you know, that ground cover. You know, it's just brown. And, uh, and you go outside, you're like, man... You know, I miss the Northeast. I miss the beaches. I miss the green grass. Even though I had to cut it all summer, uh, I enjoy it. I'm more thankful now for grass and for rain than I've ever been before. Uh, when we came up here, we saw snow. Hallelujah. And, uh, man, it's a great time. I'm thankful for that. And, uh, and so I, I think of this passage, and I think of the nation of Israel during this time. Three and a half years of no rain. And then to wander around and, and to not even be able to find a water bottle. Not being able to find a water fountain. And, and now you see that there is an, a severe issue in this land. That the cattle now are having to be prepared to save their own lives. We're going to lose the livestock. We're all going to die if we do not take preparations right now to make sure that we save the little bit of water that we have. I'm trying to set a, a uh, perspective on, on where we are in the nation of Israel. There is little to no water in the land. And so Ahab's going one way, Obadiah is going the other. We find here the first point, Elijah's prayer. He prayed that it might not rain on the earth in the space of three years and six months. You might say, why did Elijah pray that? Well, Elijah is the first part. It says Elijah was a man subject to like passions. And I thought, why, why does the Bible record that? Well, I think the Bible records that because, sure, it wasn't going to be an easy thing for him to pray that there's no rain because that was going to affect him. It was going to affect him directly. Uh, if he's praying for no rain, what's that, what, what's that cost of him? And he was, a, he was a, a, a subject to like passions as we are. I think it would be hard for us to pray 
We don't get any rain for three and a half years. Are you with me? Three and a half years, no rain. It's a depressing life. You know, no green grass, no golf courses. Man, sad life. And, um, and so we come to this, and Elijah is praying this specifically, and, and he's praying it for a greater cause. He's praying for a greater reason, not so that they, they can get persecution in the land, but so that the land, the nation of Israel, will turn back to the God of their fathers. They will turn back and serve the Lord as they were meant to do in the first place. So we find Elijah's prayer here. But then we find Ahab's presumption. Ahab's presumption. Let's look at verse number 17 of 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll pick up the story from here and we'll, we'll move forward. It says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Baal. Look at Ahab's presumption. He says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Sure, Elijah was the man that prayed for no rain for three and a half years. But you know what? The reason that he had to get to that point is because the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They're serving Baal. They're getting away from the God that delivered them out of the nation of of Egypt into the promised land. They've taken it for granted. And I want you to see Elijah's subjective thinking here. It's almost to say this. If you would just put up, if you would just uh, conform to us, if you would just do what we think is right, there would be no problems here. If everybody just conforms, if everyone just uh, is tolerant of what we're doing, then there won't be any issues here. It's you Christians, it's you prophet of God that's causing this great issue in our land. If you would just put that all behind, look at our thinking, look at our way of doing life, then we'll all be good. And my friend, you and I fall in the same trap a lot of times in getting subjective in our thinking. Thinking the way that we think is what's really right. And not going to the Bible. Not going to, thus saith the Lord. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But let me remind you, uh, it's tough sometimes when I'm in conversations. I'm talking with somebody. And they get into a doctrinal point. Or they get into something and, and they have no Bible to back it up. This is just what I think is right. It's how do you refute that? But the way to refute that is to get into God's Word. Because God has prescribed, He has given us His Word, He's given us His truth, and He, he, he desires that we follow after it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5 says, Casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know what? You, you and I, our minds can go here, it can go there, it can go on the news, it can go on this person said this, that person said that. When's the last time we paused and said, thus saith the Lord on this matter? Let's not get sucked up into what the world wants us to think. And Well, is gender really a black and white issue? Well, thus saith the Lord, yes. He created man in His image. In the image of God created He, them, and so, uh, so as we think about this, as we look at this, look at Ahab's presumption, and we see that he is now pointing the finger at this man, Elijah. Subjective thinking. Number two, look at Elijah's preaching. We have Elijah, his prayer. He prayed that the nation of Israel would turn back to God, and as a result, three years uh, and six months of no rain, Ahab's presumption. But Elijah then, he turns around, he starts preaching at him. Let's look at what he's preaching. Verse number 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commands of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Elijah doesn't appeal to, well, this is what I think. I think you're the problem. No, he says, he says, hey, I'm going to appeal to the commands of God. He says, you have forsaken the very commands of the Lord. You followed your own devices. You followed your own flesh. You followed what you think is right. But God has told you this is how you are supposed to live. You've gotten away from it. And let's look at the progression of the problem. Not only is the problem with Ahab and what he was doing, but hey, what does the Bible say here in verse number 18? And thy father's house. This problem had not just started with Ahab. The problem was with his father's house as well. They weren't following after God. They weren't raising up another generation to, to serve the true and living holy God. There was a progression of the problem. And can I say this? There's a lot of crises out in the world today. 
You know, we have the virus, we have uh, global warming, you know, you have all these people that are, are, are claiming all of these uh, crises, border crisis. Can I tell you another crisis that we face today is a fatherless crisis. We have, fa- we have fathers, we have men in our world today that forsake the role of being a father. They, they get away, and, 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 and even some, they, they may stay in proximity to the house, and they might keep the father role, so to speak, or, or just be there and be called dad, be called father, but they're not fathering their children. What do I mean by that? They're not passing on the truth that you and I have heard to another generation. They're not giving the commands of God to the next generation. They're not, they're not being the leaders in their home and giving the truth that you and I should have. The Apostle Paul, he took Timothy aside and he said, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said, hey, you may not have a father that's going to be good to you. You may not have a father that's saved. But hey, I'm going to take you under my wing, Timothy. You have a mother and you have a grandmother that loves the Lord. And I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to father you in the faith. I am going to take the things that I have seen and I have heard and that God has given to me and I'm going to impart them to the next generation. Who are you imparting truth to the next generation? I hope, number one, you're working on your kids. You're saying, hey, my kids are wicked sinners. Number one, they need salvation. They need to make sure that they know at a young age they are, they are lost, they are sinful, in need of a Savior. And then take the things that you hear in church. Hey, cultivate what pastor says from the pulpit. Have some family devotions. Hey, I'm not a father yet. Praise the Lord on January 21st, right? 21st is the date we're expecting. And boy, we're excited about it. You know what? And I came to this pastor's scripture and I prayed, God, help me to be the father that I need to be. Help me to take the truths that you have graciously given to me and help me to impart them to another generation. Let me say this, even if you don't have a child in your own home, hey, listen to me, there are other young people that run around this church that you can impart truth to. Every person, I've said this in our youth group several times, I've said every person in this youth group has some kind of influence. Maybe it's not a big influence, We have some that are just moving from children's church up into the seventh grade, and they're just joining our youth group. Can I tell you this? They have influence. There are young children, first, second, third, fourth grade, that are looking up to them. They see how they behave in church. They see what they do when they sit in church. They see when their Bibles are open. They see when they're asleep, when the preaching is going on. Hey, they see all that, and it influences them. There are some that are older that are seniors in our youth group. You know why? Our seventh graders are looking up to them. And each and every one of you today have influence over somebody. Are you stewarding the influence that God has given to you? We have the progression of the problem. We have a a fatherless society. I'm going to studies that uh, there's many studies out there uh, about children uh, that, that have a single parent, that have a high risk of negative outcomes in their lives, such as dropping out of school, being a teen parent, divorce as an adult. We won't go into all those today. I think we understand that, hey, we need to be the fathers, we need to be the leaders that God has called us to do. Because it's when we begin to let go of that rope, let go of the standard, let go of the truth, let go of what we need to do, that that next generation begins to slip. They begin to fall away. The opposing troubles. Elijah just wants the nation of Israel to serve God. The true and holy God. But Ahab, Ahab wants the opposite. He's forsaken the commands of the Lord. Look at that in verse, in verse number 18 again. Thou hast forsaken the commands of our Lord, that thou hast, and thou hast followed Baal. Can I tell you this? Do you know the commands of the Lord? Do you read the Bible enough to know what's going on? To know uh, what, the, the, what the Word of God says? I, I remember sitting in college, and I remember uh, sitting here and... and um, even as a freshman, we would have teenagers that would come in, they'd visit the college, and they would, they would get late into the night, and we'd be talking about biblical things, and, and they would say this, you see, you know, why do we go to a church on Sunday? And I look at them and I say, because it's in the Bible. Well, you know, and I take them to a few passages of Scripture, and, and then they say, well, why, why do we sing music in church? Well, it's in the Bible, and I, I flip to passages. Why do, we, why do we do this? Why do we do that? 
And, I, and they just kept asking question after question after question. I said, do you, do, you, do you see that there is a pattern here? That God didn't just put you on this earth, wind it up and just let you go. But He has instructed you all the way down to the very breath that we breathe. The very last verse in the book of Psalms, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know, you and I, we wake up every day, and we don't even think about the breath that we take. We've never paused and said, thank you, Lord, for another breath. Maybe when you're sick, it's a little, little hard. One of the scariest things, I remember uh, shortly after I got COVID, about, about a year ago, you know, you know me, you've heard, heard me sing, and I remember staying at home and watching the service online. I think we were singing Victory in Jesus, just like we did tonight. I remember taking my breath, <laughs> being able to get that breath up like I once did. I'm trying to sing. I'm trying to, to praise the Lord. My wife said, well, why did you stop singing? I don't have the breath that I once did. And I paused and I, I thought, wow, God, thank you for the breath that I've had up to this point. That I've been able to lift the Lord in praise and sing without any issues, sing without any troubles, without any difficulty getting my breath. And sometimes it's when we're on our darkest points that God does the truly awesome things because we are in a low state. We forget to see how great God is. We take advantage of the very breath that He has, has given to us. And this is where the nation of Israel is at. They're in a, a terrible time. Can I tell you, our nation, we are, we are a truly blessed nation. You look at all throughout uh, now until the 1776 of our nation... God has done some truly miraculous things. If I were to say, if I were to say, when, when was God most gracious to us as a nation? A lot of times, I think if I were to poll everybody in here, I could be wrong. I think the times that, that, that we would say God is most gracious to us as a nation is when we're at our most difficult time. September 11, 2001. Was God not gracious to then, to us then? Was He more gracious in September 11, 2001 than He was in September 10, 2001? No, He's still the same God. Still just as gracious. Still blessing us all the same. Still giving us all breath. Still keeping us safe as we travel to work. Still doing all these things. God was gracious to us, but we take advantage of it. We don't see truly how great God is until we are in a low state in time. We take advantage of these things. So we've forsaken the commands of God. We've gotten away from the law of the Lord. We've gotten away from our time with Him. We begin following Baal. You see the opposing troubles. Number two, the objective truth. The objective truth. Look at verse number 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Look at the question. The objective truth. Elijah's trying to get people away from their own subjective thinking into, thus saith the Lord. He gives a question here. and look, Let's look at the word in this question. How long halt ye between two opinions? We might read that and we might say, halt, stop. Halt. Don't go anywhere. You know what that word halt means? It means to limp. How long, nation of Israel, are you going to limp between two opinions? How long are you going to live on the fence? Hey, if God is the true God, follow Him. But if Baal, hey... Follow Him. Let's not stay on this fence any longer. Let's say, hey, I'm going to serve God, the one true, holy, just, all-sufficient, uh, amazing God. Or are you going to follow Baal? Hey, make a side, Christian. Choose a side this day. Because when we do that, we are just like the nation of Israel. We limp around. We're not as, we're not as strong. We're not as, as, as effective as we once were. We're not as prosperous as we once were. The word halt means to limp. And he says, hey, nation of Israel, I'm putting a fork in the road today. You can't serve God a man. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24, we looked at it a little bit today, about that very thought that you can't serve both God and man. I will, you will love the one, despise the other, you despise the one, and love the other. You cannot serve God and man. And so he's asking this question, hey, how long are you going to be in this position? You know it's crippling you. You know it's getting you away. You know it's not helping you. Decide. Verse number 23, we see the challenge. He brings the question, but he says, let's settle this. Verse number 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. Let those choose one bullock for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on, the, lay it on wood. Put no fire under. I love how he has to say that. Don't cheat, alright? We'll put fire under it. I'll address the other bullock and lay it in wood. And put no fire under. Alright? It's fair. We're going to do the same thing. And call ye in the name of your gods... I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Hey, nation of Israel, we're going to do something here. Alright? We're not going to stay on this line anymore. We're not going to prosper if we're on neither side, if we just kind of tote this fence. So let me put the fork in the road, and let's determine today, who are we actually going to serve? And I've set up the rules, the challenge is straight, you choose the bullock, I'll choose the other bullock, you dress it, you cut it up, put it on the altar of wood, and the God that answers by fire, He truly has to be the God. He has to be the one. Unmistakably. We're not going to cheat here. We're not going to put fire under them and, and, and conjure up something that's fake. We're going to make sure that this is organic. Make sure this is appropriate. Make sure that this is objectively true. Find the assurance here in verse number 24. And call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. No mistake that the God... Or God that answers by fire truly is God. So I come to the most important point. We find the opposing troubles. We find Elijah. He just wants the nation to serve God. He just, he, sure, he's praying for some affliction to come about so that they will turn back to God. And, and Ahab's saying, no, 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 no. You're the one that's causing the problems, not us. We're fine. We're doing great. The objective truth here, he says, oh, right, you're, 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 you're in the middle, you're on the fence, you're, you're not being prosperous as you should, and so let's settle this once and for all. With the objective truth, number three, final point here, the offerings taken. What's that word, offerings? There's three offerings in which I find in verses 25 through 39. Verse number 25, we find the offering to Baal. Let's read it here. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, dress it uh, first, and, uh, and begin to do so. And call the name of your gods, put no fire under it. So they begin to do that. Verse number 27, we find, And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Whether he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the, that, their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. What a gruesome sight. You know what? Anytime you find a young person, even an older person, doesn't follow true, the true, living, holy, pure God. They follow other gods. They listen to other voices. And consistently we find the same problem. It's the same problem back with the nation of Israel following Baal. They're cutting themselves. They're afflicting their own selves. They're destructive. But look here, look here what it says. And it came to pass, mid, uh, the midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice... And there was neither voice, nor any answer, nor any, any uh, that regarded Elijah said to the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near, and, and uh, he prepared an altar of the Lord. Let me go back here. It says that they, they leaped on the altar. You know, if you're, if you're asking God to call down fire from, from heaven, whether it be Baal or whether it be God, 
Uh, if I had something up here and I said, God, bring down fire, I am not standing on top of the altar, right? It's just common sense, all right? We're not leaping on the altar. If God's truly going to do this, I think that there was not only some destruction in their own selves and that they followed this false god, but I think there was a little bit of disbelief. And you know what? You and I, we serve a true God and we still are in disbelief. Sometimes we don't ask God because we don't think He'll answer. Sometimes we don't read God's Word because we don't think He has anything to say to us. We're in disbelief. Let me tell you, hey, we're coming to the end of this and God's going to show up. He's going to show up in an awesome way. Let me tell you, don't come to the altar. Don't come to the presence of God in disbelief. Be praying, expecting something. You know, yesterday we were out getting ready to go out soul winning and uh, a couple... Uh, that was, was going to be going out, uh, uh, a partner, they were, they were about to go out, soul winning, and, uh, and they said, you know, Pastor Andrew, we're, we're really, we don't know how many decision cards we need to bring. We don't know if we should bring just one, we should bring five, we don't be too prideful, you know, but we don't want to go out not expecting results. And I said, hey, we ought to be praying, expecting the Lord to work. Better to have everything all ready and have a bunch of cards in hand and be able to fill all them out than not have any. And be shamefaced when the Lord works and when God does something great. And so there's destruction that comes to them. There's disbelief. James chapter 4, verse number 2 and 3 says, Ye have, ye have not because ye ask not. Ask, and, and sometimes we ask and we ask that it, we may con, uh, conceive it in our, upon our own lusts. We want the glory. We want to see something happen because of us, because of what we're doing. But no, all of everything that we're supposed to do is bring glory to God and be reflective of Him. And so their offering uh, is, is to Baal. And then we find the offering of Elijah. Offering of Elijah. Verse number 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Wow, that was a problem. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, and to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. With the stones he built an altar, the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. He put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. I'm going to pause right there as we begin to see this third one. But uh, before we get to the third offering, I want us to see the offering of Elijah unto the Lord. I, I love the order in which he's doing things. We don't find anybody helping him. We find that this, uh, this offering to Baal is, is just chaotic. He's not answering. The God of Baal is not answering. And Elijah's mocking him. And he's telling him, oh, I must be on a trip. Can't hear you. And they're leaping on it. Blood is gushing out. It's such chaos. But Elijah, calm, cool, and collected, steps up and he says, it's time to see the God of Israel work. It's time to see Him do something awesome. And he begins to put things in order the way that they should have been all along. And he says, I'm going to repair the altar of the Lord. I'm going to dedicate it to him. And I love the word order is, is literally in there. And um, he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces, laid it on the wood, four barrels of water, and, and we'll find what, what's going to take place after. But Elijah is doing what he should have been doing all along. He's doing what the people should have been doing all along. And, and he's, he's getting ready. And he's saying, God, I'm not, going to, I'm not doing this for my own self. I'm doing this to honor you. I'm doing this so that the people can serve you, they can love you, and then once again we can, we can have prosperity in this land. And finally the last point, and I think this is the most important point. Not only was there an offering of Baal, not only was there an offering of Elijah, and that Elijah was leading the people, he was leading this charge, he was setting things in order the way that they needed to be, we find that there's an offering of the people, verse number 33. And pour it on the burnt sacrifice, asking for the, uh, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, 
do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. Remember what I said in the very beginning? Water in that land is very scarce. They're not going to the local spigot and just turning on, getting a barrel, filling it up, and just dumping it on there. Water's scarce. And I have to ask this question, where did the water come from? I think it's important, number one, that, that time of this whole thing is, is recorded in God's Word. If they're up on a mountain, it's going to take some time for them to get that many barrels down. Now, they could have been by the brook Kishon. Let me tell you again, even if the brook Kishon had water in it, which I highly doubt, considering that they're going out and they're looking for water. They're going far areas. Obadiah went one way, remember? Ahab went another. They're trying to find water to save the cattle. So where did the people get the water? Can I pose this thought? I think the people had it in their own canteens. You may disagree with that. That's perfectly fine. I don't think we necessarily find it in the Bible. But I think if we're, if we're thinking through this and we're thinking, where is this water coming from? It's, it's a quick moment in which the, the, Elijah's preparing the altar and he says, hey, go, go look at these barrels. Hey, get it done. Even if, even if there was, let's just say there was a random stream that just happened to pass through right where he was, the fact that they are willing to give up water, which equals their life, no water, no life. So Elijah's saying, hey, I'm asking for the most valuable thing that I can at this very moment. That's why I think he had an offering of the people. And he said, hey, if you're going to truly serve God, it's not just about me. Let me get you involved as well. Your hands are going to take part in this. You're going to see God do something awesome too. And he says, all right, let's do that. Let's get those barrels. They get the 40 barrels. He says, let's do it again. You know what? I almost think about this. If, if Elijah is asking for the most important thing, what is the most important thing in your life that you need to give up? What is the most important thing that, that you've kept back? God's been calling you to do this. God's been calling you to surrender this. God has been calling you to, to go in this area. And you said, I'm willing to give anything. I'll give the seed. Hey, I'll, I'll give, I'll give, uh, you know, I'll give anything. I'll give my job, I'll do, I'll do all that. But don't take, you fill in the blank. And so he's saying, hey, I want these, I want these barrels full. And, and he goes through, and I, I think that they're opening up their canteens, and they're, they're filling this barrel. And I think Elijah's looking at the people, and he said, no, you can do more. I want no reserves. I don't want anything more. I don't want us to, 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 to make sure that this is just a coincidence that just some fire came down. Let's pass the plate again. Let's pass the barrels again. Some of you have more water in your canteen that you can give up. Some of you have more ability that you can give up. And he said, do it again. And you know what? The Bible didn't say that they were short in their barrels. They met that requirement. But you know what? Elijah looks at the people again and he says, it's time for us to do it a third time. And you know what? If you and I are going to see God work, don't come to God in disbelief. Come expecting something. Come ready to participate. Don't be a spectator. Have no reserves when you come to God. Because when you give what you think is the greatest that you have to God, even if it's the least, give everything to God. Give it all. And then you'll see God do something awesome. So maybe tonight, we're not going to pass a physical plate. But we will have an altar open. What do you need to lay on that altar tonight? God, you give me this voice. I've been scared to get up and sing for the longest time. I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I have the strength. But God, 
I'm bringing this bucket to the altar and I'm willing to dump it here for you to use so that others can see something awesome takes place. Not because of me. God, I have these riches. I've had them. I've been scared to give them to you because I think I can steward them better than you. God, I have this ability. Hey, God, You've called me. You've called me to preach. You've called me to go to the mission field. You've called me to do something with my life. And I've served my own self. I haven't been a steward like You'd have me to to be a steward. What do you need to lay down on the altar of the Lord tonight and say, God, I'm bringing everything that I have. No reserves. No disbelief. God, do something awesome because of what I'm bringing to you today. I believe this is the most important point. Let's find out what God did. Verse number 33, and and He put the, the wood in order. Verse number 34, and He said... Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. I think perhaps Elijah even took his own canteen and dumped it out right there. Again, we know hindsight, rain was coming right around the corner. But they had no idea of that. They had no idea what was going to take place. They said, hey, this is the moment. It all comes down to this. This is the climax. We're giving it all. God, you're really going to have to come through. Somebody's going to have to provide water. Somebody's going to have to care for us. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that thou, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy Word, I'm obeying you. I'm here to glorify you. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that the people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, and let no one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down into the brook Kishon, and slew them there. If that's not awesome, then you missed it. Not only when this altar was drenched, when it was filled uh, to the brim, the trench was filled with water, and everything that they had at that point, their life practically was on this altar. God consumed it with a great and mighty fire, not for the glory of Elijah, but for the glory of Himself, that He may show the people who He truly is, and that He is an awesome, holy, almighty God that we can serve. And He even he, he licked up the water. I love how it says that. He even licked up the water. There was nothing on that sacrifice. There was no mistake that only the God of Israel could truly do this miracle. You and I, in this next moment, need to make sure everything's on the altar. God, I'm coming now. I'm laying it down. Not for my glory, but that I might be a light that so shines before men that they may see my good works and glorify You which are in heaven. You love God that much? Do you love Him that much that he, you would be willing to give of your all, your very life, your very being, your most valuable possessions, your, your greatest talent, that you might give it to Him and say, God, use it for Your glory? Or you say, no, I, 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 don't, I don't want that. You know what Jesus Christ did when He came? He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And He came down to this earth and He bled and He died on the cruel cross of Calvary 
so that you and I might have salvation. For there is salvation in no other except by what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. And praise God, He was willing to lay it all on the altar. He was willing to lay uh, a sweat, as it were, great drops of blood on our account so that we can have salvation, so that we can see God do the most awesome work the history has ever been uh, has ever seen. And so will you follow that model Christ gave? Be willing to give of your own life. Be willing to give of your possessions, of your talents, and say, God, take them. Use them in a great way. We sing this song here often. Is your all on the altar? I think in closing it might be even appropriate that we sing this song. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase. And have earnestly, fervently prayed. Have you prayed for our nation? Have you prayed for revival to come back into your soul, into your heart? That you might see God in another way, in an awesome way? But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on this altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield, give it over, Him your body and soul. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word and have peace and contentment always? You must do of His sweet will to be free from all ill. On the altar your all you must lay. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield Him your body and soul. Father God, You are awesome. Lord, we just witnessed a great miracle recorded in Your Word. Father, forgive us when we get subjective in our thinking and we think we know what's best. We think we know what we need to do. And Lord, we've neglected Your commands. Lord, forgive us where we've held back a portion of what we need to give to You. Father, help us set things in order like Elijah did. Make You preeminent in our life. Lord, I pray that we, like the nation of Israel, will be willing to give our life, our all, on the altar tonight. And Lord, as we do so, we do pray that once again, just as You did something awesome for the nation of Israel, Lord, may You do something awesome here at White Oak Baptist Church. Father, our talents, our abilities, our money, our life even in general, Lord, is, is nothing compared to You. But Lord, we think of that song, little is much when You're in it. Lord, may we follow Your economy tonight, not our own. Work and guide in this invitation. We ask this in Your name. Amen.